We're going to continue our series in the wilderness. Two weeks from today at Easter, we're going to finish up this series, which is exciting, and we're going to launch into something different. But, um, uh, but I don't know about you, but I've enjoyed this series, not because it's been easy, not because it's been necessarily fun to talk about at times, but it's been so applicable um, to my life and to the lives of those um, that I'm around. And so today, we're talking about something that I believe each and every one of us wrestle with. I think we're talking about something that I believe each and every one of us face at one point or another. Some of us are probably facing it right now. And when this became real to me, I, every, every week I, I have the same outline in my messages, and I can't tell you that because there needs to be a level of secrecy between us and how these messages get prepared. Um, but the, the last thing to get written is the introduction. And I try to have the message done by Thursday at 4 o'clock or so when I leave so that I can have my Friday off and my Saturday and, and not think. And then I usually pick up the message again late, late Saturday night right before I go to bed or early Sunday morning. Um, and this week, as I closed out the week, I didn't have the introduction written for this message. And, and, and it's okay usually because sometimes it comes to me while these guys are singing the, the third song, you know, and sometimes it's, it's not always the most comforting Sunday mornings. Um, but, but uh, you know, it, it just, you know, how do you want to set this message up, God? And this past week it came for me Friday morning. I was sitting, um, so I left Thursday just thinking, all right, don't have, the, don't have the first section of the message done, but that's okay. The God stuff is done, which is the important thing. And um, so how we get into this is, is, is going to figure itself out. And then we went, and I heard a testimony Friday morning, Kristen and I, as we were at breakfast um, Friday morning, about someone who was at the IF gathering, which is our ladies' gathering a few weeks ago. And, uh, and they were sitting there on Saturday, and, and they were in one of the discussion times, which from what I understand, from what I hear, sometimes that's the most powerful time when you take the content that you've heard, and then you, you're able to ask each other a couple questions and really discuss. And, and, and this one particular lady that was part of the IF gathering was just really walking through some, some hard things, walking through a hard season, and right about lunchtime turned to the person next to her and says, with everything going on in my life, I just doubt that God cares for me. And as I've been thinking all week and kind of leading up, and even through as we laid out this series of, uh, a few months ago, knowing that we were going to come here, I knew that doubt was going to be something that we had to address. Because I think for each and every one of us, doubt is such a real thing. And here's something that I believe we struggle with that we've got to get out completely right here and right now this morning is that many of us that walk into the place, that walk into the house on Sunday mornings, we got to leave our doubts in the car, right? Because doubt can't belong in here, right? And, and, and why? Why is that? Well, because, because if we share our doubts, if we start to share our fears, if we start to share the areas where we, where we doubt God, then we're one of those people, right? We're categorized, right? We need... We need help. We, you know, we're, we're, we're maybe um, cut off from, from different things. But shouldn't this be the place where we can really unpack our doubts? Like, shouldn't this be the place where we can sit around and say, you know what, I know what the Bible says, but I'm struggling to believe it. I know what God says about this. I know that Jesus loves me. I know that He provides for me. I know, I know, I know, all up here, but I'm, I'm having a hard time living that. I'm having a hard time living that truth. 
And so many of us avoid those conversations. We avoid that level of transparency. We avoid that level of vulnerability um, in this place because of what that could potentially result in. And yet I feel like this is just the place where we can be real with our doubts. I was a part of a pastor's meeting on Wednesday and we were talking about something important, I'm sure. And... um, I can't remember what it was, uh, and, and and we were talking, and the conversation got to the place uh, as as we as we were just kind of sharing around the circle. The conversation got to the place about um, because doubts exist in church leadership too, like our elders, and and you should know some of their. No, I'm just kidding. Um, but you know, none of us are excused from this. Yet when it comes to leadership, we have to leave our doubts on 114 or at Dunkin' Donuts before we. I mean, they can't even come onto the church property. Right? Because, because the question was asked around the, the, the circle, do you have a place where you can take your doubts, where you can take your struggles, like if you're wrestling through a social issue or where you stand on this or where you stand on that, is there a place where you can take that within the church where you don't potentially lose your job? Where you don't potentially lose your leadership role? Right? Because, of, because there's a fear that sometimes if we start to get honest about our doubts and the places where we're really crying out to God or or questioning God or trying to get to the bottom of something in Scripture, right? That we're pegged as, oh, that's a lunatic, right? Like, what if God did call me to tell you that you're supposed to buy me a jet? I'm just kidding. Breathe. I was just kidding, Okay. We have to have an honest place where we can wrestle through these things. And interestingly enough, interestingly enough, as with hopefully everything that we bring up here on Sunday mornings, the Bible has a lot to say about doubt. The Bible has a lot to say about where we can go with our doubts. One more thing, and I mentioned it at the end of last service, but I want to mention it at the front end of this service. Because you may be sitting here this morning and saying, you know what, is it okay? Because is, is it okay that, you know, I just want to scream at God? Like, I just want to cry out to God and say, God, do you see? Do you see where I'm at right now? Do you see what's in front of me right now? Do you see this, the status of this thing right now? Or this, this relationship or this bank account? Hello, you can come intervene at any moment. Is that okay? I just, I just want to set some of you free this morning and say yes. In, in fact, in fact, in fact, I would say, I would say that that ought to happen. That we ought to be at places where we can come to God and say, God, listen, I'm not sure if you've caught wind of this yet, or if you're seeing this yet, but I, I really need you to pay attention right now in this situation, and where we have those real, honest, gut-level conversations with our Maker. I think He wants that. I think He desires that with us. And so let's look at Mark chapter 9. This is where we're going to turn this morning. Look at a, look at a great story um, of a dad who 
deals with some doubt. And if you want to know where we're going as well, you can flip over to Deuteronomy chapter 11, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, the fifth book of the Bible. And you can hold your finger there because we're going to flip from Mark 9 to Deuteronomy 11. So if you want to be prepared and know where we're heading, if that serves you, then you can do that. But Mark chapter 9 uh, is where we want to start this morning. And so we're going to read through this passage starting in verse 14. And when they came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them and scribes arguing with them. And immediately all the crowd, when they saw him, were greatly amazed and ran up to him and greeted him. And he asked them, what are you arguing about with them? And so here, here we, we have a situation where Jesus comes in the scene and shocker, right? Shocker, the, the, the Christians and the scribes, they're arguing, right? And, and, and so Jesus comes to the scene. He engages himself in the conversation and says, hey, guys, what are you arguing about, right? What are you arguing about with them? Verse 17, and someone from the crowd answered him, teacher, I brought my son to you, for he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down, and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out, and they were not able. Now I want you to see that this spirit that had overtaken the boy was serious. It was serious. This spirit was trying to ruin this boy's life, take this boy's life, wreck this boy's life, right? And yet, why do so many of us play with temptation? Right? The enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And we see that here in this boy's life, that this spirit that had overtaken him was trying to throw him to the ground, was trying to devour him, was making him foam at the mouth. And Jesus answered them, Oh, faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. Now this is real interesting because you can almost hear the, the distress in Jesus' voice, right? You can almost see the emoji like this, right? When it comes to Jesus, if you don't know what emojis are, ask one of our teenagers. They'll, they'll show you, okay? And it'll be great. But, but you can almost see Jesus kind of beating his head and saying, you faithless generation, how long am I supposed to be with you? And why is that important? I'm glad you asked. Because Jesus had given authority to the disciples for this very thing. To cast out demons, to heal people, to do the work of the gospel ministry. Jesus had given the disciples the authority. And so now Jesus is coming on the scene and they're arguing about this because here's a dad with his son who has a demon, who has a spirit in him that's throwing him to the ground, trying to kill him, trying to wreck his life, and the disciples can't cast it out. And so Jesus says, you faithless generation, I just want to go be with daddy. How long do I have to bear with you? How long do I have to bear with you? And that's going to make even a little more sense in just a few minutes, but let's keep reading. They brought the boy to him. And when, he, and when the Spirit saw him, immediately it convulsed the boy, and he fell on the ground and rolled about, foaming at the mouth. I want you to see that. I want you to see that. Even the demons know and flee. You see that? This demon was freaked out. I mean, just saw Jesus and started panicking, right? Oh, the end is near, right? And, and you see that because, and, and what, what, is a, what, is that, what is that a beautiful picture of? The authority of Jesus. Whatever you're dealing with right now, once you include Jesus in the mix, things get fun. 
things get interesting. Things get really cool because, okay, keep going. Verse 21, and Jesus asked the father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. And it has often cast him into the fire and into the water to play with him. No, 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 no. To destroy him. To destroy him. You see that? You see the level of severity here that we wrestle with day in and day out? We are fighting a battle. And the enemy wants to destroy. To destroy him. But, and I love this, I love this. Here's where we get to the good stuff for us this morning. But if you can do anything, his dad is talking to Jesus, but if you can do anything, right, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, if you can, if you can, right? And you can almost hear again Jesus like responding, like, are you serious? Are you serious? If you can, have you not seen all the things that God has used me to do up until this point? If you can, that's where we're at right now. If you can, all things are possible for one who believes. What a great promise. All things are possible for one who believes. And I want you to see the Father's response because it's like immediately that light bulb came back on for him. And it says, immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe. Help my unbelief. What an amazing statement in Scripture. What a, what a beautiful statement of humility. What a beautiful statement of owning, right, doubt. And, and, and especially, like how many of you, we talked about it Wednesday night in the last marriage class that we had, which was awesome. If you were a part of it, I was blessed by the last five weeks. But we talked about God placements and God replacements and how so often in today's culture, kids become God replacements and we just start worshiping our children way more than we worship God. Right? And so, and so imagine, imagine this picture of this father, right, who wants nothing more than his son to be healed of this, of this unclean spirit, of this demon that is inside of him that's trying to destroy him, that's happened since childhood, and, 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 and saying, if you could do anything, and Jesus responding, if you could do anything, really? All things are possible for those who believe, and the father crying out immediately, I believe, just help my unbelief, God. What a beautiful picture of a dad who's trying hard, right? Who's trying hard here to work out his faith and see his son healed, right? What a beautiful picture. And when Jesus saw that a crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, you mute and deaf spirit, I command you come out of him and never enter him again. And after crying out and convulsing, him terribly, it came out, and the boy was like a corpse, so that most of the people said he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. And when he had entered the house, his disciples asked him privately, why could we not cast it out? Now here we see the disciples' confusion, right? Why couldn't we cast it out? You've given us authority. We've done ministry. We've seen, we've seen um, how we've been able to do acts of healing, miracle work, miracles up until this point. Why couldn't we cast this one out? Check out Jesus' response. And he said to them, this kind can be driven out, cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. This kind 
cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. I want you to see something. A closeness to God the Father is the only thing, it's the only thing that can quote-unquote fix a lack of faith. A closeness to the Father is the only thing that can quote-unquote fix a lack of faith. And that's what I want us to talk about this morning. If you're taking notes, that's kind of the thesis of what we're going to talk about. That if we want to, if we want to quiet our doubts, if we want to trust God more and, and have more faith in all of those things, then what is needed most, more than anything else that we're going to talk about this morning, is that we've got to press into Father. We've got to press in to God the Father. The main lesson of this miracle was the power of faith to overcome the enemy. If I can, if you can, all things are possible for those who believe. Why had the disciples failed at the miracle? Because they had been careless in their personal spiritual walk and then neglected the discipline of prayer. They'd been careless. They'd been careless. They'd been careless. Jesus had given them authority Right to do these things, and it was effective only if they exercised by faith, but faith must be cultivated through spiritual discipline and devotion. I was talking with the guys yesterday at men's breakfast, and we had a great time. There were tons of bacon. It was awesome. It was great. We walked in this morning, and the kitchen still smelled like bacon. Oh, that's the type of church I want to be a part of right there. You walk in on Sunday morning, and it smells like bacon. That's heaven. I mean, we're getting a glimpse of heaven this morning as we're just worshiping with that maple bacon. Hmm. About to pray in the Spirit. Okay. Um, where was I? Okay, I was talking with the guys yesterday morning. We were talking out of Jude, uh, verse 17. And, and, and I love what the book of Jude there says. It's just one chapter, so it's a quick little letter. But he says, building faith. Right? Building faith. Build up your faith. And, and I was talking with the guys yesterday morning. I was like, you know, we got to look at faith like a muscle. The only way our faith grows is if we keep doing reps, if we keep pumping that thing, right? But the second we put it down and we leave it, right, that thing starts to weaken and that thing starts to go away. That thing starts to quiet. But we've got to keep repping the faith, right? I'm not talking about representing, but we gotta keep we gotta keep put uh, I guess that would work too, but we gotta keep picking it up. You know, I pick things up and put things down, right? What if we did that with faith? Right? We do it with faith. We are so digressing. Um but we got to look at faith as a muscle, right? And the only way it's cultivated is through these spiritual disciplines. And the disciples, the disciples struggled here with this miracle because they had neglected the most basic spiritual disciplines. Now, I want us to flip over to Deuteronomy because as I was thinking about this this past week, the, the question that just kept coming to mind, I was talking with Zan in between services and I, I said, you know, there's so many things that we could talk about when it comes to doubt. And so, but the biggest question that kept coming to mind as I was wrestling with this this week was, okay, if we all deal with doubt, if we all encounter doubt in one way, shape, or form at one time or another, I think the biggest thing we've got to deal with is what quiets our doubt. 
What are the things that quiet our doubt? In Deuteronomy, right, we're going to look at the Israelites. They're about to cross over into the promised land. They can see it. They're talking about it. And, 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 and here we pick it up and we see the things that, we see three things that can quiet doubt. Deuteronomy chapter 11, we're going to start in verse 7. For your eyes have seen all the great work of the Lord that he did. You shall therefore keep the whole commandment that I command you today that you may be strong and go in and take possession of that land that you're going over to possess. And that you may live long in the land that the Lord swore to your fathers to give to them and to their offspring. A land flowing with milk and honey for the land that you're entering to take possession of is not like the land of Egypt from which you have come where you sowed your seed and irrigated it like a garden of vegetables. But the land you're going to over to possess, I want you to get this, is a land of hills and valleys. Underline that. We're going to talk about that in a few minutes. A land of hills and valleys, which drinks water by the rain from heaven. A land that the Lord your God cares for. The, the eyes of the Lord your God are always upon it from the beginning of the year to the end of the year. From the beginning of the year to the end of the year. So again, the Israelites, they're looking at the land. They're about to go over, take possession of the land. And, and I want you to see here three things that quiet the doubt. Because if you remember the journey that they've been on, right? I want you to see these three things. Verse 7. For your eyes have seen all the great work of the Lord that He did. The first thing that quiets doubt is reflection. 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 What does that mean? Looking back over all the things that God has done up until this point. Right? If you're in a season of doubt, and a lot of times we fail to do this because we just get so wrapped up in the wilderness. We just get so distracted by the things that are right in front of us, by the things that are coming at us from every angle, that it's hard for us to stop and look back. But let's do that for just real quickly this morning. You may have done this with me before, this little exercise. I want everybody to pause right now and take a deep breath. Only about half of you are doing it right now. Come on. Take a deep breath. That's a gift of God. God has just given you that breath, right? God has just worked a miracle in you and given you that breath. Look around. The fact that we're getting the opportunity to worship together this morning in freedom, right? We could stay here as long as we want. Not saying we are. Don't get worried. But we have the freedom to worship in this space, to open the Scriptures right in front of us, to fellowship, to sing as loud as we want to sing. With as much passion as we want to sing with. We can talk about Jesus and the hope that we have in Him. I mentioned it last week. You know what separates us from everything else, from any other religion? The cross and the hope that we have in the cross, the life that is found in the cross. And we can sing loudly about that. And we can preach loudly about that. And we can read openly about that. And that is a gift of God that we can celebrate in the freedom of Christ Jesus, our Lord. Man, I don't know about you, but that gets me pumped. And that's bigger than any little petty wilderness that I'm walking through with my little 10-year-old girl who can't do a ponytail still. Amen? Some of our wildernesses that we're walking... Is that even a word? Some of the wilderness 
We're so far from first service right now. I didn't even break a sweat in the first service. Man, some of, the, some of the seasons of wilderness, some of the seasons of doubt that we're walking through right now seem pretty small when you think about that. Look at, look at Deuteronomy 11.7. I love this. For your eyes have seen all the great work of the Lord that He did. All the work of the Lord that He did. Right? He gave you that breath. He set us free to be able to do these things. Right? Our eyes have seen all the work. So when we're walking through doubt, what quiets doubt? When we're walking through a season of wilderness, what quiets that wilderness is to stop and look back on the things that our eyes have seen that God has done. The resume. Right? And you can hear it in the voice of Jesus. And I'm not trying to put anything that's not there. But when I read it, when I see Jesus in that Mark 9 passage, if you can, have you forgotten? Have you not heard some of the things that God has done and used me and these guys to do up until this point? If you can, are you serious? Are we back to this point now? Your eyes have seen I mean, think about that. How God has shown up already in your life. What quiets doubt? Reflection. All right, let's move on. Number two. Whew. Number two. Discipline quiets doubt. Commitment quiets doubt. Allegiance is necessary to possess the land, the promised land here. Now what does this mean? Discipline quiets doubt. What was the, what was the issue? What did Jesus tell the, the, the 12 disciplines, right? Disciples, I know. I was just testing you, okay? What Jesus had said to the 12 disciples, this, this kind is only driven out by prayer, right? Look at verses 8 through 10. Okay, we're going to get back on track here. You shall therefore keep the whole commandment that I command you today, that you may be strong and go in and take possession of the land that you're going over to possess. You shall therefore keep the commandment that I command you. Discipline quiets doubt. I got an incredible opportunity Friday night. I was able to, Kristen and I were able to sit with a couple um, PKs. Y'all know what those are, right? Preacher's kids. They got MKs. They got missionary kids. Y'all thought MK Kitchen was some cool fancy. It's Missionary Kid Kitchen. No, I'm just kidding. It's not. It's not. It's not. It's just a cool little abbreviation. Anyway, we got to sit with some PKs who are now older, right? And we got to sit at a table with these, with these, with these men now and their father who was a pastor um, and, and, and is no longer a pastor. And, and they, they, we were just talking and having this beautiful conversation and the conversation was kind of getting quiet. And so I did what I do. I asked a question. Because I had the realization it would not be a bad thing for my PKs to end up like these PKs. Like, these guys are awesome. They're amazing. They didn't turn out like a lot of the preacher's kids that I know. Not pointing any fingers. Sorry. Um, you're just right there. Sorry. I didn't mean it. And, I was like, and so I just asked the question. I was like, 
how did this happen? Like, as, as someone who's raising four preacher's kids, right? What are some things that we can do? What are some things that we need to keep an eye on? And the conversation was great. It was beautiful. And they talked about a few things. And, 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 but but one, of, one of them turned finally and said, you know what I remember most was walking out of the living room and seeing my father with an open Bible and an open prayer journal out loud praying for our family, out loud praying for me as I'm pouring a bowl of cereal, out loud praying and reading the Scriptures and studying and keeping those spiritual disciplines for Himself and, and interceding for our family. And I was like, whoa, that's awesome. That's so, I can do that, right? I can, I can do that. And I thought, wow, you know, so many times I try to overcomplicate this when really what's required is those basic spiritual disciplines. I love what Russ says quite often you know, the three Sunday school answers, right? Jesus, pray, and read the Bible. What would it look like if we actually got those three right? Like, what would it look like if we quieted some of the other things in our lives that try to creep in and that try to take priority and we just focused on Jesus, prayer, and reading the Bible? And those disciplines, right, as we, as we cultivate those disciplines in our lives, they will quiet the doubt in our lives and bring us out of wilderness. Number three, look at verses 11 and 12. But the land that you're going over to possess, and I asked you to underline this a few minutes ago, is a land of hills and valleys which, which drinks water by the rain from heaven, a land that the Lord your God cares for. A land that the Lord your God cares for. The third thing that I want to talk about this morning that quiets doubt is trust. 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 Listen, God didn't call you when He called you unto Himself, when He drawed you unto Himself. right? He didn't call you to a life of rainbows and unicorns. He didn't call you to a life. Of, and, and I feel like that's one of the biggest lies we tell each other when we're, when we're talking to each other about faith and, and coming to Jesus and coming into personal relationship with Christ. Hey, everything's going to be great. Just give your life to Jesus. It's all going to work out. You're never going to struggle. That's a lie. Jesus promises suffering. And even this land that they're going over to, this promised land, this land flowing with milk and honey, all this land that they had been trying to take possession of and go over to, he says is a land of hills and valleys. It's a land of good times and it's a land of valley. Torn Wells, who's a Christian artist, has a song, you're God of the hills and you're God of the valleys. And in our doubt, in our wilderness, in our fears, we trust that God is there. As present in the valleys as He is in the hills. And I think when it comes to these three things that quiet doubt, right? When we think of reflection, when we think of the disciplines of our lives, and when we think of trust, trust is probably one of the hardest ones for us to grab onto, Trust is probably the, one of the hardest ones for us to grab onto because it's so hard for us to let go of that possession, of that control. God, are you sure you can handle this? Are you sure you want me to let go of this? Are you sure? Because I can, I can hang on to it for a little bit longer if you want me. If you're not ready, God, 
if you're not ready. And God just says, trust me. Trust me. I'm God of the hills. I'm God of the valleys. I'm God of the hills. I'm God of the valleys. I'm God of the wilderness. I'm God of the wilderness. The most important factor, the most important truth that we come to grips with this morning, I pray, is that doubt is a part of our journey. That doubt is a part of our faith journey. Most of us experience it at one time or another, especially when we're walking through the wilderness. Some of us experience uh, doubt a number of times throughout our lives. Doubt is a part of our journey. But listen to me, doubt is not a good destination. Let me say that again. Doubt is not a good destination any more than wilderness is a good destination. Doubt or wilderness is not intended to be a stopping place. Doubt calls us to action. Whether we stop and reflect, whether we stop and we look at the disciplines, whether we stop and we ask, okay, am I really trusting God in this? Doubt calls us to action. It moves us on, it moves us forward. And listen to me, there's a big difference between doubting and giving up. There's a big difference between doubting and giving up. There's an immense difference between wrestling with faith and throwing faith to the side. There's a big difference between moving through doubt and getting stuck there and becoming a cynic. The healthy way of understanding doubt is to understand that it's a part of the faith journey. The key to doubt being a journey and not a destination is caring about what God wants and wanting to move to faith. I believe. Help my unbelief. Trusting the process. Trusting the process. There's a story I was reading recently that you may have heard. Um, it's been shared a couple times around uh, the church and some different platforms. Um, but I was reading about this, this pastor in Hawaii it's such a cop-out. This pastor, it just seems like an unfair statement. This pastor in Hawaii. Anyway, I'm wrestling with that this morning. Um, but he, he was training for this five-mile row. He was going to row for five miles. And he talks about his training process. He talked about you know, how he changed what he was eating. He changed the, the way he was exercising because he wanted to compete and, and do this five-mile row. And so he did all these things. He made all these changes. He, 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 he woke up earlier to exercise. He changed everything that he was eating. He didn't eat sugar for like three months. Which, wow, what's wrong with him? Um, we, we just read that, right? When, 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 when God's ministering to us, he brought the cake. We had a lot of fun with that, by the way, in our small group about the cake thing. It was the first angel food cake. Anyway, some of you need to go back and listen to that message from last week. All right. But, 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 but you know, he, he made all these changes. And then race day came, and he started rowing. And mile one went great. Mile two went great. Mile three, he started to struggle. And at mile four, he was ready to quit. And he recounts the fact that he was at the point where he just couldn't row anymore, even though he only had a mile left. And he was about to be at his breaking point where he was about to signal for one of the, the rescue boats to come and get him because he was just done. And then he remembered all of his training. And the thought flooded his mind, I didn't do all of these things to quit at mile four. I didn't wake up earlier. I didn't train. I didn't change the way I eat for the first mile. 
I didn't do all that for the second mile. I had enough adrenaline for that. I trained. I did all of those things for the fourth mile. For the moment that I wanted to quit. For the moment that I wanted to quit. And I think maybe one of the biggest places where we need trust is to trust the process. To trust the process. To trust the training for the moment when we want to quit. For the moment that we want to put faith aside. For the moment where we just want to give up and say, you know what? Life was so much easier before I did all this. A guy by the name of Frederick Buckner wrote this. If you don't have any doubts, you're either kidding yourself or asleep. If you don't have any doubts, you're either kidding yourself or asleep. He goes on to say, doubts are the ants in the pants of faith. What a picture. <laughs> doubts are the ants in the pants of faith. He closes that quote by saying, they keep us moving. How many of you know God uses doubts? God uses doubts. Now, we can have the perspective, right, that doubts push us to quit, doubts push us to give up, or doubts keep us moving. They take us back to appreciate all that God's done up until this point, right? They take us to our spiritual disciplines where we connect with Father. They take us, right, they take us to the point of trusting God. Doubts are the ants and the pants of faith. They keep it awake and they keep it moving. Interestingly, God's most faithful servants have usually also been the most doubtful. God's most faithful servants have usually been the most doubtful. I was sharing yesterday morning about how I just identify so greatly with Peter. I mean, we've read some stories even in this wilderness series about guys that have seen incredible moves of God and then God take my life the next day. We have to come to grips with these things. So, if doubt is a part of the wilderness experience, what do we do with our doubts? I'm going to close with three very practical things that we can do with our doubts. We're going to run through these quickly. If doubt is going to be a part of the wilderness experience, what do we do with our doubts? Number one, we should own them. Number one, we should own our doubts. We shouldn't suppress our doubts. We shouldn't try to place them to the side. We shouldn't leave them in the car. See, authentic faith begins with honesty. And doubt is the foundation of honesty. Ask our questions. Continue to search. Don't let our doubts stop the channels to God. Let doubts open up new channels in new ways with new insights and understandings. And and I was just thinking about it this morning. You know, what does it look like if we bring that doubt to the table? We bring that doubt to the table and we're sitting with someone and we, and we, and we say, you know what, I need, to, I need to own my doubt. I need to own my doubt. And I, I need to talk about this doubt. But here's the thing, I don't, want to, I, don't, I, don't, I don't want to dive deep into how it makes you feel. I don't want to dive deep into what you think about it. But I want to dive deep into what the Bible says about it. Like, can we sit and have an open, honest conversation about this thing that I'm doubting with or this thing I'm wrestling 
through or this thing I'm struggling to understand, can we sit and have an open conversation around Scripture and know that in 45 minutes when the coffee runs out, we're probably not going to get to the bottom of it. But could we spend the next six months, 12 months, 18 months wrestling through this truth together in the Scriptures? Because I think we get into a lot of trouble when we base our beliefs on how it makes us feel. Or what we think. Because God would never. What does it look like to own our doubts, to own that fear, to own that wilderness and say, listen, can we just, can we just begin a process of wrestling through this? For number one, we should own our doubts. Number two, stay involved with others. Stay involved with others. I think it would have been easy for this dad of this son with his boy, right? When the disciples had struggled and there was arguing going on. Are you kidding me? This is a waste. My son's involved. We'll just go. Just go into isolation. Just separate ourselves, right? But he stayed involved with others. We could learn a lesson from the disciple Thomas who voiced serious doubts and yet continued to remain in the company of the other disciples as he worked through those doubts. Stay plugged in. There are so many people that are walking through seasons of doubt, walking through seasons of wilderness, and the answer for them is to distance. The answer for them is to hide. The answer for them is to unplug. And I'm not saying that that's the season where you need to be the most joyful, plugged in, involved person on the planet. But there ought to be somebody. There ought to be some group of people. There ought to be some small table where you can go and sit and own that doubt and not be in isolation. And then number three, we should own them. We should stay plugged in with others. Number three, continue to seek the Father. Continue to press in to Father. The issue up for us is never, therefore, one of avoiding our doubts as if that'll cure them. Rather, it's a continuing and honest relationship with God. God, I don't know where you're at in this. God, I need, you where to, I need you to show me where you are in this. The prophet Jeremiah, speaking for God, says, when you search for me, you'll find me. Jeremiah 29, 13. Jesus said, ask, and it'll be given to you. Search, and you'll find. Knock, and the door will be open to you. And we do these things. Our periods of doubt, our periods of questioning can lead us to faith. In the early days of John Wesley's ministry, he was experiencing a particularly difficult time of doubt and uncertainty. And he went to a friend of his, and his friend, as John Wesley laid his soul bare, responded and said this, preach faith until you have it. Because you, oh no, preach faith until you have it, and then because you have it, you will preach faith. Preach faith until you have it, and then because you have it, you will preach faith. In other words, act as though you've already moved past doubt to faith. Then as you act in faith, faith will come. Faith will come. When I think of how to say that in a pretty practical way, I think as the worship team comes this morning, I want to close with this. What's needed for most of us when we're walking through a season of doubt, when we're walking through a season of wilderness, is a change of perspective. 
right? When we stop and when we look back, when we reflect, right? We're shifting our perspective. We're shifting our perspective from what's right in front of us to what God's already done and claiming what God's already done over what he's, what's right in front of us. Right? We're shifting the perspective to our disciplines. We're shifting the perspective to doubting God, from doubting God to trusting God. I was reading one time when I was walking through a season just of questioning and struggle a few years ago. And I read about change of perspective and there was a formula there that said change of pace plus change of place equals change of perspective. Change of pace plus change of place equals change of perspective. And there are some of us sitting in this room and maybe you're walking through a season of doubt. Maybe you're walking through a season of wilderness. Maybe what's needed most is a change of pace. Maybe what's needed most is a change of place so that you can gain a new perspective, a different perspective, a change in perspective. What does that look like for you? Maybe you're sitting here this morning. Do you need to plug back in with a group of people? Do you need to lean in, press into God the Father? Do you need to own your doubts? When I think of Jesus, I love how Jesus modeled this. And it wasn't in a season of doubt necessarily, but He did it while He was still on the hill. Jesus, after He fed the 5,000, which if you count the women and children, it probably ended up being like more than like 14,000. Huge win, right? Huge miracle. What a great story. And see, I picture, right, something like that happens. You know, Jesus getting in the boat with His disciples and them going out and celebrating what God just did, how God just showed up, how God just moved in in an amazing way. But Jesus didn't do that. Jesus modeled pressing into the Father. He put His disciples in the boat, sent them on, separated Himself from everyone, and went and got alone time with his father. Change of pace plus change of place equals change of perspective. Maybe that is what's needed most for you. Maybe that's the need of the hour this morning for you. Would you bow your heads with me?